everyone and welcome back to another episode of CQP Moments. As always, I'm your host, the Cuban Queen Pin. Guys, I have a guest today because we've all been on pause and it seems like we don't know when we're going to stop waiting. But my next guest says waiting is a good thing. So let's take a moment out and I'll be right back with Candy. So guys, like I was saying, I have Candy Arrington. And, you know, we haven't been able to go into the out for quite some time. Things seem topsy-turvy. And sometimes we're at this point, it seems like we're just plain sick of it. So Candy can shed some light and tell us why that's not necessarily a bad thing. So Candy, please introduce yourself to my listeners. All right. Uh, Thank you very much for having me today. Um, I am a writer, a blogger, and a speaker. And uh, right before the pandemic began, I signed a contract to write a book, um, not knowing, of course, that the pandemic was on the way. And so during the time that we were quarantined and um, doing life differently, I was writing a book about waiting. I feel like God was very involved in that um, timing as he is in the timing in all of our lives. It's just really hard for us to see that. Um, And especially last year, there was a lot of emotion that was involved in what we went through. Um, And I think anxiety was one of those emotions that we all dealt with. So when we, when we look at waiting, we realize that um, there could be a reason for it. To us, it just feels like we're sidelined, that we're on the sidetrack of a, of a railroad track and, and other people are whizzing by and it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But it could be that a time of waiting is to help us change perspective or for our protection or to allow us time to take a step back and regroup. Um, I think that we all did a lot of that last year and maybe are still continuing to, but waiting is not always bad. Okay, now you're saying waiting isn't always bad. But I know a lot of people, and this is something that I come across a lot on social media, on emails, you know, in Zoom meetings. So when can we get back to it? Haven't we done this enough? And what do you say to those people? I say that our timing is not always God's timing. Um, I think In our society, we're so conditioned to move fast. And even with advertising, we're made to feel like if we don't act quickly, we're going to miss out in some way. Um, And there's maybe that 
also that mindset of we've got to hurry up and get ahead because if we don't, we're going to be left behind. Um, so I think we just have to realize that we take, um, we take things as they come. We live a day at a time and, um, and not be in such a hurry to, to move forward. It could be that as we transition out of um, at this time of waiting that we've been in with the pandemic, uh, it could be that we've learned some things that change our perspective on how we function in our lives. Uh, I was talking to someone the other day who said uh, that he, he is in favor of slow food rather than fast food. <laughs> and um, I think, you know, our perspective does change. We find out that waiting is not, not really as um, difficult as we think it is. And perhaps, yeah. you know, perhaps we've learned that we can rest and reflect and, and, it's, and it's good for us. That is true. That is true. So, okay. I have a question. How did you go from being, you know, wife and woman and everything to being this author and speaker? I have been um, writing and speaking for about 20 years now. And um, I, I fell into it really uh, not even realizing that that's where I was headed. I, I majored in English in college, but that was, you know, in my mind, I was never thinking I'm, I'm going to be a writer. Um, and what happened for me, uh, my husband and I were on a retreat and I woke up early one morning and I had words just swirling in my head and um, I knew if I didn't get up and write them that I was going to miss something. And so I got up and took a, a pad and paper in the bathroom so I wouldn't disturb my husband and and just wrote the words that were just flowing from me. And, um, and then later when we regrouped with the, with the uh, people we were with, I read what I had written. And afterwards, several people asked me for a copy. Could we have a copy of what you wrote? It really spoke to me. And I think that was the first time I realized that uh, writing was something that that I was created to do. And uh, so I began to um, look to see how to learn to do this uh, effectively and how to, uh, what to do to get published. And I started by joining a local writers group. And uh, the first time that anybody read my writing or that I read it to the group, I was sort of unprepared for the comments because you think you've done this, you know, stellar job. And then um, it's kind of hard to take critique. And so as they made comments and things, it, at first I was, it ruffled my feathers a little. Uh, but what I realized is that if I could graciously accept this critique and then apply the things to my writing that they were saying, uh, that I would grow stronger and get better as a writer. And that's been what happened. And I've, I've done that also through attending writing conferences. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think they can just sit down and write and it's going to be 
publishable, but that's not always the case. As with any, um, any endeavor, you know, I think about uh, athletes that are, that are uh, in the Olympics. They don't just decide one day that they want to be an Olympic athlete. There are years of training and practice that uh, precede that. And so it's, it's right. similar with writing. Wow. Wow. So, okay. How long from you doing your first writing, you know, at the retreat to writing the book? Well, my journey with my first book was a little different from what many people experience in that I went to a conference, um, the first conference I went to right after that retreat. Um, I, I didn't really know what I was doing and I had taken, um, I had bought a book that showed how to write a book proposal. And, you know, I was very naive because, and I had a few publishing credits. I had had a few uh, devotionals published. And um, so I bought a book and I just sat there with that book and looked at it and it had examples of, that had pictures of, of what proposals look like and, and instructions. And so I, I wrote this book proposal and took it with me to the conference. And um, I had one particular editor that I wanted to meet with. And, um, and it's, it's kind of mass confusion when you have this sign up for appointments, people just all run to these tables where the sign up sheets are. And so as I saw, it was almost like the whole room tilted toward one side where the tables were. And I thought, there's no way I'll ever um, make it over there in time because this particular editor was not going to be there but one day. And as I got over there, I didn't even rush because I thought there's no use. But as I got close, uh, people parted and I could see the editor's name on the table and I walked up and she had three slots and, and two were filled and I got the last slot. So I know that it was God who, um, who arranged that you know, on my behalf. And when I met with her later that day, I was very nervous. But, and, and she was one of these people who does no chit chat. It was all business. But wow. after she, yeah, after she looked at my proposal, she said, you know, um, I, I can't take this proposal because we, we are not get we're getting out of the self-help type books, but she said, uh, she named an editor and she said, he's here, don't let him get away from you. And so his, all of his appointments were filled, but I saw him walking to a building later that day and, and just told him briefly, you know, what I, the proposal I had. And he said, well, why don't you meet me for breakfast? And so um, I did the next morning and, and the way this conference center is, as you walk by the dining hall, there's a big uh, windows and I could see that he was in there and his table was full and so that was you know in my mind I thought we'll go over in a corner and talk well when I got to the table he said I, I hope you don't mind if others listen uh, maybe they'll learn something and, and I thought yeah they're going to learn how a novice writer is filleted by, by a uh, an editor a seasoned editor but he was very kind and my proposal 
was on a tough topic, which I have ended up writing on, not because I set out to do that, but because that has been, um, the, the topics have come to me and, and they have, um, and, and I've been able to write on them. But I was co-authoring this book and it was for people who lost a loved one to suicide. And my co-author had lost his father to suicide. And so wow. as, I, as I started talking to the editor and he was looking through my, my proposal and I talked for a few minutes and then I just stopped. And when I stopped, every person at that table had a story of how suicide had touched their lives. Right, and, right. And the editor said, you know, when you first started talking, I thought there's no way we're going to touch this because it, it's such a, a, a downer. This subject is such a downer is the way he put it. And he said, but this table is a microcosm of society. And, um, and there's a need for this book. And so I think for anybody who's interested in writing, if you can write for people's needs, if you can write words that speak to needs, then, then you can be a success with your writing. I think that's the one thing that people don't sometimes don't get is it's really a matter of writing to get understood, writing to the heart of people. Right. Writing and, and right. And, and that's really what it is, is that, here, yes, it is a tough topic. It's not something that everyone wants to talk about. But like you said, there isn't a person that hasn't been touched by it. Mm -hmm. So in other words, I think a lot of times, and, and this is how, because I, I had someone pose a question to me years ago and they said, well, you know, how how are you reading this book and can you tell me how the book affects you with not by how it really how you can relate to the book and I thought about it and I'm like okay well you know and I tried to come up with all these ways of how I could not relate to the topic of this book why I found it so interesting and so profound, but that was simply it was because I could relate because it became personal to me. Mm -hmm. That's what made the book all the more special. And I think that's really what it is, is we pick up things, whether they're nonfiction, whether they're self-help, whether they're personal development, whether they're fiction even, that we can relate to, whether it's a character, whether it's a story, whether it's an instruction. And that's really what it is, is we pick up things that we can relate to. So yeah, guys, if you have something that everyone can relate to, or even you just feel you can relate to, that is your story. That is, that is what you need to write about. So, wow. So, okay. Now you've written your first book, you've written devotionals, you've gone on to start speaking and we get to life on pause. Now, yeah. 
<laughs> like I said, we no one wants to wait. No one wants to. This is like, you know, everybody's, you know, we've got to go, 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 go now. Now, who are you trying to reach with this book? Who are you trying? Is this something for the masses? Is this something that you're specifically talking to a target audience? Or is this something that you feel everyone just needs to hear? We all encounter life pauses. And um, one of the things that I did with this book is that I, I invited some people to tell the story of times when their life was on pause. Um, and I think when you're writing, if you can add, if it works out so that you can add other people's stories, I included some of my waiting stories. One of part of a waiting season for my husband and I was that we were not able to have children when we were ready to. And so we had that journey of infertility and um, how difficult it was to, as a, as a young couple, to see others having, you know, beginning their families. And then we were not able to and uh, went through many years of testing and uh, trying different procedures and that kind of thing. And, and thankfully, the Lord blessed us with, with children. It was certainly not in our time frame, but it was in his. And uh, we are grateful for our two children who are now parents and, and have children of their own. Um, but for some people, you know, it may be a job loss. They've lost a job and then they, they just can't seem to regain momentum and they're in that waiting phase um, and nothing seems to be available. Sometimes it's caregiving. And I was also in that, that waiting season. Um, and, and for many that it's very common to either caregive a parent to some extent or another family member. Um, I was caregiver for my mother for three years. And uh, during that time, my writing was on pause. Um, I actually had started a book on caregiving called When Your Aging Parent Needs Care and, uh, and wrote the end of that book um, during the last year of her life. Um, but during that time, you know, we, we, when we're in a, a season of waiting, we sometimes um, resent it. And uh, I loved my mother, but there were times that I resented that my life was sidelined with caregiving. And I felt like my writing life was uh, on the decline during those years because I was not able to go to conferences. I was not able to write and publish as I had been. And, uh, and I kind of resented it. And, um, but what I have seen is that God has redeemed those years. Um, this book, Life on Pause, that's out now, it has been uh, 11 years since I published When Your Aging Parent Needs Care. And sometimes, you know, we think, well, nobody will remember who I am. And, um, but, but that hasn't been the case. And I'm just so, so thankful that I had the opportunity to be with my mom during those years. Um, to a, to a little bit different extent, I am serving as caregiver for her younger sister now, who's 95. Um, it's not a daily 
Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> well, it's been it's been so interesting um, to do it again. Um, and right now, it's I'm not having you know to have daily interaction with her, but certainly talking to her on the phone um, every day. And uh, and so you know we all have different kind of life pauses, and and I and that's putting those other people's stories in the book, I think helps because you might not be able to identify with what I've been through with caregiving or with infertility um, or with a job loss that my husband had. Um, but you could identify with, with some of the other stories in the book. And one that I, I think is especially powerful is uh, Henny's story where she, she rushed ahead she was not willing to wait. She didn't accept the pause that um, came to her. And she and her husband uh, decided to move uh, to another town and rushed ahead when they're, uh, before their house sold and, and put a contract on another house and went ahead with the purchase of it. And then at the last minute, the, the purchaser of their first house backed out. And so they were stuck with two house payments. And, oh, uh, wow. Yeah. And so, you know, I think we learn, um, we learn from these other stories that are in the book. Um, one man, uh, Jack, wanted to, he, he felt called to be a pastor, um, but it just didn't work out. There were just obstacles, roadblocks, one right after another. And so he gave up on that. Right. And, and, it came to him in a very unexpected way later. And uh, it was God's timing, certainly not the time frame he had envisioned, but, but it worked out ultimately. Wow. So, okay. How can a person deal with, because I think there, there comes a point and we've all kind of been there where we feel almost like we've waited so long and especially when it comes to careers and other certain things that we feel are life milestones, mm -hmm. we start to come to a point of resentment. Mm -hmm. How do we deal with that with one? And I don't want to say not coming to resentment because sometimes it's acknowledging that you're having that, but moving past it so how do we come to that point of saying okay you know what yeah I'm, I'm getting there but this is not everything how do we move past the resentment for me um, I, I personally think that it helps if you can focus on the positives in your life you know it's it's easy to get uh, sidetracked on thinking about things that are not going the way we want them to or not in the time frame that we want them to. But if you can just start and, and even make a list, make a list of things that are positive in your life and shift your perspective and your focus to that and off what you don't have to what you do have. Um, and sometimes it may be something as small as... Um, just being thankful for, um, for your family, um, the family you grew up in or the family that you now have. It could be 
thankfulness for your health. Uh, we especially can be thankful now that, that we are hopefully moving out of the pandemic. Um, that we, for me personally, I never had COVID and I'm so thankful for that. Um, and so, you know, it, it can be small things that you're thankful for, um, for the ability to uh, walk through the neighborhood or go to the gym and <laughs> some people don't enjoy doing that. Right, but, right. But when you're dealing, like for me, when I can look at my aunt who's 95, who would love to be able to get out and walk in her neighborhood, but she's physically not able to. And so um, there are small uh, positives and small blessings in our lives and they're big ones too. And if we can focus on those things instead of getting uh, so caught up and I'm not where I wanna be yet or um, the negative aspects, then it really does help to, to shift your perspective. Nice. Now I have another question, which is how do you deal when, in other words, you're comfortable waiting, but those around you're like, well, hey, you know what? You're you're taking too long. You need to hurry up and 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 see what's out there. Go go, you know, go for it. How do you deal with when other people are pressuring you out of your waiting season? Yeah, and that is hard. And I especially see that a lot of times with people who are grieving. Uh, you know, grief is a very personal and unique journey for each person. And um, and so there are a lot of people who kind of look at a grieving person and think, well, she just ought to be over it by now. Um, and so that kind of translates to, into, to people who are, I call them negative cheerleaders, um, <laughs> they're, they're urging you on, they're loudly encouraging you to move out of a waiting period or to be finished with grief or to change something about yourself. And, uh, Hold I think on for just a moment. I, now I, 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 okay, it's weird because I like what you just said with that. And okay. because you said negative cheerleaders, because when we think of cheerleaders, we think of somebody that's always in our corner. Right. We don't ever think of the people that are like, hey, you know what you and, and they're and they're telling you all of the wrong things that are not necessarily wrong, but they're wrong for right. you. So, guys, pay attention. Sometimes the people that are cheering you on aren't always positive. I I, I just had to, to stop you there because I, I really it, it was just like such an aha moment for me because like I said, when we think of cheerleaders, we think of, you know, someone is telling you, you know, you've got this, but we don't ever think of the people that are, you know, kind of like, come, come on, you, you've got stuff to do. We've got, you know, so yeah, that is, that is really profound. I love that. Well, thank you. It's, um, I have discovered over the years, you know, some negative cheerleaders in my life. And, uh, and I think, a lot of times maybe what's behind that is um, either they're trying to control you or they're jealous of something about you. And so we have to learn to discern um, the voices that are coming to us, whether they are for our benefit and, and spoken out of love and concern 
or whether they are spoken um, for some other reason. You know what? And and I have to say this because I, I, I often tell this to people and it, and sometimes it gets misconstrued, but sometimes you have to recognize when someone is putting their fears on you. Right. When someone is trying to tell you you know, there, there, it's not something that's for you. And like you said, you have to learn when someone is trying to protect you, but, or, or when they're trying to, you know, well, you, you just shouldn't do that. They're trying to talk you out of things. Mm -hmm. And so again, it's about discerning the difference and knowing, you know, because when, when, I have to say this, when there is protection, there's kind of a comfort in it. If, if you kind of feel like someone's stabbing you in the back when they're telling you something, it may be the fact that they are not, they don't really have your best interest at heart. So, you right. know, just learn to be able to tell the difference. Right. So, okay. The, the, the one thing that... I found just like thinking about this and because like you said, we, we had a whole year on pause. We had a whole year, you know, now when people think of waiting, we, a lot of times, I think this is the one, the one misconception we have is we just think someone's just sitting there. They're sitting there and they're doing nothing. What is the one thing a person can do to actively wait? It's interesting that you brought that up because um, I have a chapter in the book that's about uh, moving forward while you wait. And uh, there's a passage of scripture in Jeremiah and, and it's speaking about um, God's people were in captivity, the Babylonian conquest. They had uh, captured them and taken them to Babylon and made them slaves to some extent. And, uh, and it's just interesting what, what the prophet Jeremiah spoke to them. He said, um, build homes. It says you're going to be in exile, but build homes and plan to stay. Plant vineyards for you will be there many years, marry and have children, and then find mates for them and have many grandchildren. Multiply, multiply, do not dwindle. The truth is this, you will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised and bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And one of the things that stands out so much to me in those verses is do not dwindle. And I think that sometimes we do that when we're in a waiting um, mm. phase. We just, we shrink, <laughs> we draw into ourselves and, uh, we don't realize that we have to just, um, that we can keep moving forward in some area of our life while we're in hold in another one. 
And so, you know, what these, the instructions here were to basically get on with your life, even if you're waiting for your rescue. And um, that was just, you know, that was really profound for me, um, you know, to, to read that. And I think sometimes we allow um, circumstances, disappointments, discouragement, and frustration in, in a situation that we're in to send us into a tailspin and we spiral downward emotionally right. and benefit from waiting. And uh, so, you know, during these periods, you can, you can prepare, you can make preparations to move forward, even though you're in a waiting phase. And, you know, patience is one of the biggest things that's required as we wait. And most of us are not patient people. Uh, we want things to happen in our time frame. Right, right. Uh, so, you know, it's, I think that many times waiting helps us to develop patience, even though we don't want to. That it does, that it does, that it does. But I, I, I and, and I think that's really what it is, is because when we think of someone waiting and part of it is because when you even think you say the word waiting room. You're just sitting there and you're waiting for your appointment. You're waiting to do something. So you're not quite so much being active, but you're just in a pretty much in a sand standstill or just sitting there. And this is what the idea we have of waiting. We're thinking, you know, it, it's just a matter of sitting there. So a lot of times, and, and I find this even with people, when you tell them, hey, I'm waiting, it's like, well, you know, you've got to get out there and do something. And it's like, whoa, wait a moment. That that's, I, I didn't say I wasn't doing anything. I'm just waiting. I'm not not doing anything so sometimes guys it's a matter of actively waiting and if you know someone that is in a waiting period or they seem to be on pause maybe you need to just ask them and find out what they're doing they're not necessarily sitting home or sitting in a room and doing absolutely nothing so yeah I, I, I love this. I love this. I love this. So Candy, tell everyone where they can find your amazing book. Well, um, certainly if you have local independent booksellers in your town, um, I will always encourage you to support them. Um, but it's also Life on Pause, Learning to Wait Well. It's available on Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble. Um, and, you know, you can go to those places online also to, to purchase. Nice, nice. And you're also a speaker. So will you be doing any seminars or webinars anytime soon? I will not. Um, I, I have just done a, um, a couple of months ago, was involved in an online um, writer's conference, and that's primarily where I, I do my speaking, um, but I have spoken in the past to local groups and that kind of thing, which 
we're still not quite back into yet um, because of the pandemic. But, but I, I don't have any uh, seminars coming up online, but would encourage you to um, you know, just going back to the writing thing, if you're interested in writing, uh, I, I encourage you to, to be involved in a writer's conference, either virtually or in person um, as they become available in your area, because that is something that really will take you a step forward if, if writing is something you feel called to do. Awesome, awesome. And thank you so much, Karen, Candy. A lot of all of her information will be on in our show notes. So you, of course, you will not miss a thing. But again, Candy, thank you so Thank much. you so much. I appreciate this opportunity. Guys, oh my goodness. She dropped some amazing gems. Even talking about negative cheerleaders and what we can do with them. Guys, remember that. But check out her book remember you can get it on amazon barnes and noble and anywhere you can find books all of her information will be in the show notes so of course guys you will not miss a thing but as always be good to yourselves be good to each other and happy shopping what's up everybody this is d Watkins, host of the unfiltered views podcast you are now tuned in to cqp moments with the coupon queen pen